Peace. Welcome to another episode of Bootstraps. I'm your host, Anefriesian. For those of you that are new to the podcast, I want to ask you two quick favors. Please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're on Instagram, go on over and give us a follow at Bootstraps Podcast. For those of you who have been uh, my loyal subscribers, I apologize for uh, the, the, the delay in getting this episode out. The past few weeks have been a little chaotic and, and busy on my end, but I have a great lineup of episodes uh, beginning with today's and I have several more that will be coming out over the next few weeks. So uh, I apologize for the delay, but I promise to not disappoint with the content that we have coming out over the next few weeks. And today's story, I'm not going to give a long intro. It's a really great conversation. I want to get into it as quickly as possible. But I'll boil down the moral of the story that you're about to hear to get you primed just a little bit. Planning is important, and you can plan quite a bit in life. And I think that it's important that you don't just meander about your life. But there are still some amazing moments that come about in your life that you just can't plan for. You know, there's a certain serendipity that may come with it. Or like today's guest calls it, he calls his life somewhat gumpish. He's had some moments that have uh, materialized as a result of his hard work and his grind and his grit. But when he was working his hardest and when he had laid out his master plan, he didn't see some of these moments coming about. So hopefully you guys really enjoy this conversation and you learn from it, you're inspired by it. And I'm really happy to uh, be back in the cadence of getting really great bootstraps content out to you all. Let's get into it. Another episode of Bootstraps. Brother, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone your name and let them know what it is that you do. Having me, first of all, uh, my name is Joe Sargent. I am currently with uh, Reynolds American, uh, a tobacco company, actually, in marketing. So um, a little bit quickly about my background. I, After getting my MBA, I kind of started in what I like to, you know, nicely refer to as uh, vices, where first I actually interned at Reynolds, worked at Altria, Miller Coors, the beer company, and Beam Suntory. So little bit about my background uh, and brand. I know we're going to dig into it, but that's, uh, that's me. In a uh, that's what's up, man. So you're in, in North Carolina now and you started out in, you say you started out in vices. It's funny. I spent some time in vices as well. I, I mean, I did it on kind of the bougie end. I spent some time in wine, um, working for two different wineries, uh, at different points in my career, but I never got over to the side where you were, where you guys had the real big budgets and got to do some, pretty cool stuff in marketing. So tell me, tell me about what it was like when you were working in vices. I would say my specific experience, I think was perfect where I started in tobacco and tobacco. So this was like, Oh, Oh nine is when I interned uh, 2010 is when I got my MBA. So, you know, we, we know what cigarettes are. We know what dip is at this point. So, it's, it actually was great for me because me starting out my career in brand, I got to, you, all you have is the fundamentals. And in order to do marketing in within the tobacco space, you have to, it's called one-to-one marketing. So I can only send an email or a direct mail or something like that to somebody who has said, yes, I am a tobacco consumer. And yes, I would like to get tobacco messages, usually coupons from your brand. Right. So that taught me a lot of the fundamentals right out. And then I moved into beer. So for me, it was like, 
great. The handcuffs are off. I, I've, I've already kind of stretched my brain and figured out how to be creative. And now I felt like I had a ton more room to work with where somebody else was coming in from, say, ConAgra. And they're like, wait a minute, there's state by state regulations. I can't do the same thing in California as Texas. And it's like, <laughs> right. you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I've already baked it into the plan. So uh, it, I, to me, it was actually a really good training ground um, coming out of school and, and how to, you know, really like dig in and, and use your tools, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, so it's funny. I find it, I find it interesting. I had uh, kind of a reverse situation where my first marketing job was at a small beer company and this is more of an analog as as opposed to like being a direct parallel but we had um we had no insights right so it's all it's all marketing by intuition right which is yeah which is Intuition's a lot, a lot fancy word. Right. Guys, yeah. Exactly. Way, you know, which, yeah. <laughs> which basically means you're not actually practicing the craft of marketing unless you happen to be a part of the target demographic, and so then you're marketing to yourself. But you know, that's a, I guess, a debate for another time. But I personally don't think that you're really doing uh, marketing if you're just going from your gut, unless you're a part of the target audience. But that said, I'd come from that environment, and then when I landed my first job at Clorox and we had all of these consumer insights, I was just like, yo, like I've been like having to really like double click on things and just really obsess over making sure this stuff was going to work. And then it's like, it felt like I was shooting fish in a barrel, you know, it was like knowing as much as we knew about the consumer, it felt really easy. If you felt like you got sort of, overrun and like drown in the numbers where it's like i've been successful without it and then all of a sudden everything you you want to know was there ever a moment where you were like you have to kind of snap yourself out um in in the beginning with that analysis right because i got i got my job at clorox prior to i got before i got my mba so there were certain frameworks that i hadn't really learned yet and i didn't know how they showed up in the hard numbers and so that was drinking from a fire hose, but thankfully my mentor and we're actually still in touch, but she was my mentor when I was a first year associate, um, um, uh, Indian sister by the name of Smita. She was actually a, a Wharton MBA who was just like a quad whiz. And so I kind of learned from the best in the game and I got up the learning curve really quickly, how to like not boil the ocean because I definitely would make the mistake of trying to boil the ocean and try and just like dive into the numbers and look at every single number. And it wasn't making sense. Once I figured out how to pull back and um, form some hypotheses and then go looking for information to validate or invalidate those hypotheses. Then again, that turns all of the quantitative data, like all the Nielsen and RI data that we had access to that, that supercharged that for me as well. But uh, I think the, the attitudinal yeah. stuff, like actually knowing who the segment was and what how they looked at the world and what were their key drivers of purchase, what were the barriers to trial, like all of that. I was like, man, like I don't know how you how one is not strategic when you have all that information at your fingertips. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. Totally. That's what's up. So, <laughs> so you, uh, what is what is you know some of the coolest stuff that you've gotten to work on in your career? Uh, you know, once you've kind of gotten up the curve and, and become you know the established marketer that you are 
No, I, I will go no further than February of this year. Um, <laughs> so I, my most recently before this role, um, I was a director of marketing for the Kansas City Chiefs. So I can say as of uh, last week, uh, Thursday, I, I'm the proud owner of a Super Bowl <laughs> ring. Flex. And it does have my name on it. So it's mine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, congratulations, man. Thanks, man. Thanks. But that honestly was, I mean, truly like once in a lifetime, just like uh, an amazing experience. So, you know, the job is the job, nine to five, whatever. But some of the stuff I got to work on was designing the uh, the floats, quote unquote, or the double decker buses. Right. So me as a, the, the, uh, the director of marketing, I, I own all sort of creative that comes out of the building. And what that means is, you know, I have to work with our sponsorship group because we want our big sponsors on there because that is something that you can basically get money for is access to the parade. And no, you know, those pictures will live forever. Right. So kind of taking, take, including them and then working with the creative agency to like make these buses that are truly going to be iconic. I think potentially, you know, with COVID being what it is, you know, who knows when we'll have another Super Bowl parade just like that. Super Bowl just right, like that, right. you know? Um, so to, <laughs> to feel like maybe a part of history is, is cool. And, and to really see, like, my work, my, my fingerprints on some of that stuff. So something else tied to that was actually, you know how right after the game, all the players are holding up the front page, and it's like, chance. Yeah. And, and you're wondering, like, how could they possibly? Right, right, so right. My pro- yeah, so my project was actually to work with the Miami Herald, who's owned by the company that owns the Kansas City Star um, to make those uh, to make those uh, fake headlines, mock headlines or mock front pages. Right. So what that entailed was working with their photographers, working with our internal team photographer to pick the right photo. Um, you know, obviously with, with Patrick Mahomes, but we wanted a, a team shot to, to, to kind of share that moment, getting that blessed all the way up through ownership, which was important because, you know, if these things get out or, you know, that's one of those things, if it leaks that, that the chiefs have already printed up, you know, we won the Super Bowl headlines, like that's what they don't want. So, you know, getting that approved all the way up through ownership and then having those under my arm as I walked into the Super Bowl uh, in Miami was amazing. So I was able to get that down to the, to the uh, equipment manager, somebody who I worked with a ton. And, and, you know, I, I wasn't even really sure from there, I, I trusted him, and then just to see those pop up on the uh, on the stage right after the game was so satisfying, <laughs> you know, because it's like it's like those things you see and you wonder how does that happen. Like I could tell, right? Um, so that was really yeah. Cool. So I mean, be, me being a sports junkie is like I've always wondered, you know, what was the logistics behind that happening? Um, I knew they had to pre-print them and whatever, whatever, but I just didn't, never really understood like what went into it. So that's one is dope to hear that story. But then two, I think it's a marketer's dream. I think the reason why, you know, people who are in marketing, what they love the most about it, not the reason why, but what they love the most about it is seeing your creative work out in the marketplace. I mean, there are boring CPG products that I launched when I worked at Clorox that are still on shelf. And when I see them, I stop and I look and I haven't worked at Clorox in 10 years. You know, but I'll stop and look and be like, yeah, every like, time yeah, I launched that drain opener. You know what I mean? And it's like the most benign, <laughs> like least sexy product ever. But you launched it as yours or if there's a commercial that's out there or whatever it may be. So when you see your work and particularly your creative work out in the world, 
I think that is like the highlight. And to know that your work is around this super historic Super Bowl win. That is, you know, to your point, it's going to, that work is going to be out there. It's going to live forever. That's, that's pretty dope. Man, and, and that's like, you know, get in the ring. It's just, honestly, it's a, it's a big hunk of metal, but like, there's so much like baked into it. And it's like, you know, obviously got a little, you know, my eyes stinging a little bit because it's like, man, like, and, and we'll get into <laughs> some of it, but like a lot went into this. Right, you know? right. Uh, and that's one of those things. So, so it was really Yeah, cool. well, I mean, let's, let's, let's get into it now. I mean, so you, you got, you know, this massive Super Bowl ring with your name on it. How is it? This, talk to me about like, how, because did you go straight from beer to the Chiefs? Like, how, how did you end up at the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, my career. How how long do I have? How, <laughs> hey, let's let's roll, man. However, however long you need. So I'll I'll start in uh, in undergrad. So my my senior year, um, I found out about three weeks before the semester was supposed to start. I found out of my senior year. Yeah, I found out that the New Jersey Nets were hiring interns. So I got that through a friend of mine from high school who I went to Cornell with. Um, and he just sort of told me about it. He was getting 12 credits and I applied, got the job and like, it was awesome. But me being the, in the arts and sciences school, they wouldn't give me credit for the internship. So mm. had to figure Yeah. So I had to, it, I had to find a way to take 12 credits. So I found two classes that met on Monday that were four credits each. And then I got a four credit graduate, uh, like a, a special project. What do you call it? I forget um independent yeah project, independent right? studies so i got right. four credits for that yeah yeah so i was like i had my 12 credits so i'm so I, I was in ithaca on monday taking class and then i would drive down at night and then intern tuesday through friday or saturday depending on if we had a game and then come back up and do it again so that was like the start right where i was like all right do i want to work in sports and like for me like putting in the work and, and sacrificing and, and, you know, with the team, I was in the sponsorship group. So kind of by day doing a ton of research and feeding all the guys who are actually going and trying to sell sponsorships. And then for the games, working with our sponsors. And like, if you see a team mobile has like a, you know, a cornhole game where you can win a free, whatever, like somebody has to set that up. So that is typically the interns right. job to work with all of the sponsors to, to act. So they can, the word is like activate. So they can activate all of those, like, projects uh, or all of the things that you promised them right and this is like this is like the end game stuff right so like in between like during commercial breaks they come out and you do something on the court really quick like cornhole or whatever is that what you're talking about but also before the game if uh if there are t-shirts draped over all the right 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 that would also be and because those t-shirts we only make them as a team if a sponsor is willing to pay for them which they'll do you know because obviously they want to get in front of the fans so that's all well and good, but it's the intern's job to, to open those boxes and make sure that they're all distributed right. uh, pre-game. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was kind of the start. And I was like, I know I want to work in sports. Um, I ended up from there, from Cornell, getting my master's in sport management at Indiana University. And it was kind of the same thing. So because I had the first internship with the next that made it really easy to get an internship with the 76ers the next summer because you, you know, they, they know you kind of get it. Right. Um, so I spent a summer in Philadelphia. Um, and then when I got to Indiana, I was able to get internship with the Pacers. So I would wake up in the morning, I'd drive up to Indy, 
uh, about an hour from Bloomington, intern all morning, eight to or nine to twelve. Then I would come back down. I would teach basketball class, so that's what I was doing as a graduate assistantship to pay for my master's degree. So I would teach four classes of basketball, and then in the evening is when I would actually take my master's classes. So, you know, again, like just trying to trying to grind it out, and like I, I wasn't even really sure kind of what the job was going to be, but I was like, I really like being close to this. And I figure if I'm going to have to like wake up and go to a job anyway, it might as well be like in or around sports because I love sports. So I was kind of trying to build that career as I was sort of figuring out where it was going. And I felt like I had that air cover because I was in grad school at the time, you know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think it's impressive how, uh, how hard you were willing to work or the grind you're willing to put in to be able to make it happen. Cause I think oftentimes, you know, people might look, they, they might see, you know, if you ever pull out and decide to flex, you know, your Super Bowl ring and we're going to get there eventually. Oh, yeah. And we, we'll, we'll get there eventually as we're working our way up to the, to you being at the chiefs, but they, then they just might see that moment and wish that they had that moment as well. Or they just see that moment, they see the shine and like the the privilege and the access. Like, man, like this dude like was a part of the Super Bowl winning Chiefs. They didn't see you trying to figure out how to like arrange your schedule while you're up in Ithaca going to <laughs> Cornell and all of that hustle. Right. It, right. It, and I mean, more than that, like, I, you know, I'm broke, you right. know, these are unpaid internships. So, you know, it's a lot of blue box macaroni. Like, right. So for the net for the Nets internship, I, I had uh, reached out to my chapter of frat brothers and one of them lived in Jersey and had a neighbor who rented out his attic. So four hundred dollars a month. <laughs> I stayed in this weird guy's. That, not weird. No, I'm kidding. He like to me, he was a stranger, yeah. but he actually turned out to be a super nice dude. Like, and you know, I'm doing that, and also I'm getting a speeding ticket. I bought. I didn't have a blue blazer like uh, for for games, so I went to the thrift store. Like I right. was like patching this together as, right. as we were as we were going. Man, it, it was like it, it's. I'm really thank you for having me again because like it gave me a chance to kind of think back through this whole sort of path and it, it's been it's been wild. Man, well, it's, I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's dope to hear you share share your story too because I think it's important for people to understand. Like, it's going to be hard to be black, regardless of your situation you were born into. And one of the things that I want to be able to emphasize is like. If it's going to be hard, regardless, like what agency can we exercise to where that difficulty at least serves us to where we get some joy out of this life and we can actually achieve our dreams, right? Because it, it, is, it is possible for us to achieve in this world. It is going to be harder for us. We've got to be twice as good, all of those things. And I think that comes to life with you having to rent uh, someone's attic that you don't know, you having to go get a blue blazer, you know, from the thrift store. Like all of these stories that, you know, other folks don't have to think about, right? They don't know that goes into like these moments. And that's where I was going when bringing that up. That's why I'm glad that you're, you're on here being willing to share your stories. Like other people who, who no. sit in your, oh, who sit in your chair, many of them, 
have not had to do a third of the things you had to do to get to that same place in life. And those stories just need to be told. Truly, I, I, I appreciate being having an outlet because I think and I feel like I guess we'll cut this out for the trailer. But like, I truly think that like, you know, it this this unique lane is, is something that hasn't really existed. And I've sort of found my tribe and, you know, built my network. But I, it, I'm really glad that this exists so that, you know, other people can say, oh, the, the, you know, we we're out here, you know, right. which is cool. That, that, yeah. That's real. So getting, getting back to like you being on your being on your grind. So you're in Indiana doing your thizzle, you're uh, going to grad school and hustling and grinding and getting up and uh, interning for the Pacers as well. So from there, where do you go? I'm, I'm thinking I got these internships under my belt, got a master's. And so what I actually did was I went through the entire MBA. I went to all of their websites. I downloaded their media guides, and then I would try to read all of the bios of all the executives of where I wanted to be. So I guess I should take a step back and say, by this point, I decided I want to be the president of the Detroit Pistons. And really, that means I want to lead the business operations for a team. So, so what I was doing was reading all the biographies of all these people, and then I would go to the PR section because what I found out was that's really the only place where people would kind of put their emails out there. So that would tell me the kind of the email architecture, right? So is it first initial last name, is it, you know, whatever. So then I would, I just cold emailed all these executives and I actually look back. It's this, it's so silly because I was so young, like this five paragraph, you know, whatever, here's my background, blah, blah, blah. And basically I was just saying, look, I've done a lot of stuff. And I had these experiences. I've seen what you've done. Like, what would you recommend? That was that was ultimately it. And and some of them actually reached back out, which was really cool. Um, and and that where that ultimately led me was to get my MBA. So I decided to stay in school, work and and work a career through brand management. And so what I was through all of these conversations, what I was learning is that one. I learned for myself that I didn't, I wasn't really good at anything. I'd done these jobs, but I didn't really have a skill that I could like count on, you know? Right. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and two, um, you know, there, the, there was this kind of growing wave of, um, well, hey, you know, these sports teams are starting to hire brand marketers because they're realizing that if you can sell, you know, cotton now, you right. can sell the Miami Dolphins or whatever, right? <laughs> right. So, so I was like, okay. I got, I can do that. Let me get my MBA, work in brand management, move up in brand, and then move over into kind of the right role in sports. Gotcha. And, you know, yeah, lead me on my path to running the Pistons. So that was kind of, so that, that's, and, and on top of that, I was like, well, I could, I could take a step out now, work, quit, go back and get my MBA just to do the same thing that I want to do now. So I was like, all right, even though I don't have like that full-time experience, I think I've done enough to where like, I know what I want to do, so let me just go try and do it. So that that was interesting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's important to like to also understand like what is it that you're trying to achieve. I think oftentimes we look at other people for the answer, we look outside of us for the answer, and it's pretty easy to do when you only have bad options in front of you, and then there's one good option that appears. It's like, you know, the. <laughs> 
the only analogy I can think of is there's like, uh, like you're hungry and there's like a bunch of, you know, rotten, spoiled food. And then there's like this fresh hamburger. It's like, yeah, I'm going to eat the hamburger. You know, like that, that's not complicated. What do you, what do you do when there's like a smorgasbord of great food and you can only choose one, right? I think that's how, um, I think that's where we get tripped up when we, when we finally get to a place in our careers where we have multiple good options in front of us. And so you being really clear about what it is that you wanted out of life and what you wanted out of your career. It's like, Hey, look, ultimately I want to end up right back here. So I'm going to take this different approach versus going full time. So the NBA experience was great. It was probably, you know, two of the best years of my life. I met my wife there. I, Studied abroad with her, actually. We survived that. And, uh, you know, side <laughs> she was the one. But ultimately, when I came out of school, I didn't have a job. So I was figuring it out again. And uh, at that point, it was like, all right, I want to, I'm set on the brand management path. I'm not getting brand management jobs. So what can I do that can help me get there? So um, I ended up taking a job at Interbrain, which is like a brand strategy consulting company, because I'm pretty good at Excel. And that would at least get me in the room with brand managers. That was that was kind of my thinking at the time. And, you know, I was like, I could I can hear their questions, I can sort of understand what their problems are. And me having provided the answers, like, I can use that in interviews. That, right. that was, it was, it was a great plan. And then five months into the job, they lost a big client. And so I got let go with a whole bunch of others. And, you know, I had signed a lease. I had uh, bought a car. Wow. They, I had, yeah, this was in February. And I remember we had had the Christmas party not long before that. And they were giving away cruises and PlayStations. And, you know, all the, I was like, okay, I guess things are going pretty good. And then, you know, six weeks later, here I am. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I was back uh, at it and ended up then going to Nielsen. And uh, moving from Dayton, where I was with Interbrand, up to uh, Cleveland, actually, and working with Nestle out of that office. So I was kind of the Nielsen guy in the office. Um, That's out in Solon, right? Yes, Solon, Ohio. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, you know, I'm learning, again, like, what are your questions, providing the answers, and, um, you know, ended up getting a job in marketing with Altria. They contacted me through LinkedIn, and I was like, this is like, this is kind of what I wanted, right? Was like, again, if I'm trying to get in a brand, this is a brand job. So that required leaving uh, Nielsen now after six months, kind of on my own accord, but you know, it is what it is. And then I'm moving down to Richmond, Virginia, and that became kind of my first foray in the brand. So um, to summarize now, because this story is, is sprawling, but I think my brand career, I, I jumped around a bit where I was trying to figure out how can I be in brand but sort of still have a foot in sports and, you know, was able to find that through beer, through liquor. Um, because if you think about it, every sporting event that happens, every entertainment, right. you know, whatever, there's what's there, right? So right. I kind of stumbled into that, but it worked out great because it set me up for, you know, ultimately to, to find the role for Chiefs. And here's what I think is awesome. It's like you, like, very, very rarely in life does it work out where you get to go in a straight line from, from A to B. Right. Right. And, you know, I can tell my story in this kind of A to B 
way if I start the story at my first major league, like senior level or like big company marketing job was at Clorox. I did my training and development there. And then I went and got my MBA and then I went and I've done all of these jobs. But if you go back to like, well, what, what were you doing before Clorox? <laughs> right. There's this whole other circuitous, <laughs> circuitous part of the story that ultimately then led right. me there. Right. And there were some decisions that were made that I didn't know were going to land me at Clorox. Thankfully they did. Right. I, but I was like, I was going after particular skills and I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I um, go acquire these skills that I know ultimately are going to get me into a career very similar to you. I knew I wanted to do brand um, because like you, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to own building the financial model, but I do want to understand the outputs from it. And I want to talk about the strategy that, goes into it that ends up leading to the numbers but the actual owning the model like that's not my skill set i don't want to master excel to that degree i don't want to be the creative director right but i want to understand the consumer insights that lead to the award-winning commercial you know i don't want to be the person that's the r&d person that's inventing the product but i do want to understand what key features attributes and benefits need to be in this product and set the strategy that then leads to the product development. So that's what a brand person does. And you're kind of like, I think of it being like, you're the, you're the conductor of an orchestra where you might not be the expert violinist, but you know how to get all the pieces to work together. And so like you, I wanted to get into brand and I had a very circuitous route. And so I, I, you know, in of one, like my personal bias is I respect a little more when people have to go through these circuitous routes to get there. I don't, I don't recommend it if that's if you don't have to, but if you say you really want something, then you gotta you better get up off your butt and grind and make it happen. And yeah, that I think it's interesting because I've I've had this conversation with with a few friends, you know, and I think it I hate when it my tone I feel like is like here's what you should do because I'm like nobody should do what I did because it was insane and it required a ton of driving and, you know, right. uncertainty and you know, right. like, don't do that. But, you know, it, I would also say like you, like just to your point, if you have a goal, but what I've, what I've counseled a lot of people on, you know, when they say, how do I get into sports is like, have a goal and work backwards and be willing to flex and just know that everything between where you are now and your goal is, is, is helping you get there. So if you can, if you're gonna move laterally, like, is it a different company that's, you know, closer in or whatever, like find something that, that makes your story make sense as you kind of build it. But it can go, like you said, left, right, up, down, and, and Lord knows my mind did. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're, you're the better for it too, because I was in a previous episode, was talking with this brother about what it takes to be successful as a black man, you know, you have to be twice as good to get half as much. And I, I think having to work that much harder, work once you get there, you are so battle tested. Your skills are so refined. You are so much better in, in most ways, if not always, but definitely in most ways than your peers, because you've had, you've experienced so much more. You have to work so much harder to get there. It's so funny as you say that because uh, it and and I'm sure we'll get into it soon. Maybe we can. I don't know. We'll talk about it yeah. now. But I was I was at a company um, and 
talking to one of the older black guys there and you know he was he was great and always anytime i want to talk he'd be there and part of it was just frustration of like hey i feel like i've done all of what they're asking <laughs> and i'm getting looked over like and then you know beyond that i was like well as i look around i'm, I'm noticing nobody has gone from my level up to the brand manager level like what's up with that so you know for him like he was saying his, his, I don't, I don't want to call it advice, but his, I guess, counsel was look at all of the people who have been at this company and what they're doing now. He was saying, you basically have a batting donut <laughs> on, on, on your career here. You have to, like you said, work so hard and you have your hands in so many things. And, and when you get passed over here, you, you lay that in front of another company and you get promoted instantly. And he's like, just watch. And so I, you know, did the research and I was like, yeah, okay, that maybe. You know, I, I, it's not like I quit immediately, but I was like, man, that's he's he's not wrong. Yeah, um, which which was a big big thing for me. I think. Well, uh, highlights what you were saying. Lord, Lord, I mean, one of the things you know, I, I put this way: one of the things I learned growing up in inner city LA and having some of the friends that I had, you know, not being vague, growing up hanging out on the streets with certain folks, you learn that loyalty is a two way street. And when you move out of that environment, that's still true. It's true everywhere you go. Regardless if someone's wearing a nice suit or they have a particular title in front of their name or you're in these fancy corporate offices or not, like loyalty is a two-way street. And people, you should invest in people who invest in you, right? And there's, there's this kind of dance of like someone has to be vulnerable first. And so I think you take the job there, right? And you show up with your best intentions and trust and you work your butt off and then they need to invest back in you and vice versa and when they don't then you know you have to move accordingly so your decision to go ahead and move and move on with your career i don't think there's anything wrong with that and then and, the, and to close the loop for the listener so we got to the point to where you, you now you have your mba you're working in brand you start off um was it was it outro what, what was your first brand job was at Altria. Altria. And so then you, you mm -hmm. go from there and you, you get into beer and liquor. Yep. And then how do you get from beer and liquor to the Chiefs? Some of the things that I worked on in, in that beer and liquor was like, um, you know, there's a program with Coors Light where we were refurbishing basketball courts around the country. So that was something that I got to own. You know, we activated through social media. We worked through our NBA partners, like the um, Pelicans and things like that. You know, so those were projects that I was seeking out or working with um, college football and doing kind of tailgates at the Southern Classic and things like that. So so, so those were experiences that I was seeking on purpose um, throughout my career. And then ultimately, the, the, the transition to the Chiefs was through a corporate recruiter. So... There's a company, I'll give them a plug because they uh, definitely got me paid, thank you, is uh, called Turnkey. Um, and so they're a, they're a sports and entertainment uh, headhunter firm, basically. Yeah. And yeah, so they, they I, had, um, I had sort of sent them my information, they reached back out. And, you know, it was pretty, what, what I really like about working with recruiters like that is they get the information that's not in the job description. Because right. they're actually talking to a real person on the other side. And, and they know what they're actually asking for. So that helped me a lot because we, I could, you know, all that winding stuff from my past, they helped me kind of make it a, a very strong kind of tight, short narrative for 
for the interview. And I think, you know, it's, I mean, that was what I, I was preparing for that job. I think what the help of going through the recruiter was sort of helping me formulate that, right. um, you know, communicate that. So, um, yeah, I moved into the role with the Chiefs. And it was interesting because it was a brand new role. So, uh, and and what is you not unique, excuse me, what's, what's true of all sports teams is that they're very revenue focused. So I think for me, uh, taking the projects that I was handed and, and figuring out ways to monetize them or figuring out ways to grow them and tie them to things like sponsorships, like ticket sales, right. uh, stretched me a lot. And I think helped me, you know, kind of develop again, because I had done a lot of activating and sponsorships that, you know, frankly, when you're, when you're in beard, your budgets are big and what you're doing in, in to a large extent with a TV commercial is your brand building. Right. And, you know, you know that it's going to come back. The numbers will tell you that, but it's not necessarily like at, at a sports team. It's like, hey, I'm going to do this thing on Wednesday. I want to see increased sales on Sunday. So it was just a, it, it was a new way to use the same sort of tools that I've been developing. You know, right? Yeah, I mean that that has to be. You know, it it kind of reminds me of uh, quick serve restaurants, which I've never worked in quick serve restaurants, but a quick anecdote tangent when i i interned at starbucks when i was in grad school and my mentor there was bernard Coca, who was the head of marketing on the retail side of starbucks i was working in their consumer packaged goods group so basically the starbucks coffee you find in the grocery stores um i was working in, in that group but my mentor that summer was the head head of marketing for all of starbucks like retail and he had a quick serve restaurant background a matter of fact name dropped He's the he's now the CEO of El Pollo Loco, um, which is a, a chain of like fast food Mexican restaurants here on the West Coast. But that said, the way in which he would talk about marketing to me and where he would think about it was very similar. It's like we did this thing on Tuesday morning. We're looking for a spike in year over year sales for this day, like Tuesday afternoon. Which, yeah. is, which is which is a very different world for someone who come from a very classic like brand building background. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know if I, hmm, that'd be interesting. Like, if I ever want to go work on a QSR or the quick serve restaurant side, because it is so. You do this thing as a driving transactions that afternoon. I think that can be really rewarding, but it's also it's 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 very transactional. One of the things I really enjoy is about building a deep emotional kind of connection over time, you know, that, that relationship building that classic brand marketing does. So that's a, that would be, I can see myself being in your role at the chiefs feeling very stretched going from brand building, like traditional brand building to like, yeah, if we launch it this week, we need to see results this weekend. Good thing. I would say so. And, and what I kind of leaned on is what, when you work in beer at corporate, which I did, what you learn very quickly is that all of the people like in quote unquote in the field. So the people who are actually in different markets around the country, they're much, they're, they're much more oriented that way. They're like, just give me the sign so I can put the sign up where me as a marketer is like, hold on, what is this sign saying about the brand that we want to be in three years? You know? Yeah. That's so real. So, so I, so I've in, in, in working with those field and trade uh, people, 
I, I, I figured out very quickly how to translate. You know, you can't do the whole presentation about what this brand is. You have to make it make practical sense uh, very quickly. So that was helpful, but yeah, it, it was a different type of job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I dig it. So as you as you look, though, as I, as I hear this story, there's so much context to you didn't make it to the Chiefs. The Chiefs win the Super Bowl. You are developing the Super Bowl float. You're developing the the mock newspaper that they're taking up on the stage as they accept the Lombardi Trophy. You get your Super Bowl ring. Like, does all this stuff come up for you? Does the internship where you're driving down from Ithaca and the internship where you're driving out from Bloomington to Indianapolis, like, does all that, does that feel like, all of that went into this this ring and this moment, or are you just thinking about the Chiefs? Absolutely, no. It's like a, it it hit it hit in waves, you know, because there's there's things you don't think about. I mean, there was a sports agency I worked or I interned for where, you know, I was well. It was this is a small agent that you've never heard of that you know I almost forgot his name, but you know he's grinding and he's got uh, football players that are coming out of school that he's trying to get drafted. And so I was literally making, just trying to get creative. And so I found one. So he had a heavy, a, a very heavy running back from Michigan state um, who was not a fullback, but very heavy running back. And so I was like, well, if you look at his weight to his 40 time, he's actually the fastest for the weight, right. like that type of stuff. Right. So that, so, so I do that and like, I'm grinding on that. And then, all of a sudden I meet that running back at a networking event. And now he's like <laughs> working in sports. And so it, there's all these connections that get made and tied in and like, just, yeah, it does. Like the ring is very symbolic. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that's yeah. deep. People, yeah. People never get what's, what's uh, under the surface, you know? And I think for a lot of people, maybe on the surface, what you see is what you, what you get. But um you know, one thing that I talk about with uh, my associate at work, she's a, she's a total rock star and she's become like, you know, my right arm, not even just my right hand. She's like my right arm <laughs> at, at, at work. And, you know, it's gone beyond just her being a direct report. I'm somewhat of a, of a mentor for her. Um, and one of the things I, I told her is like, look, they might be smarter than us. They might be richer than us. But they will never outwork us. And I say that knowing that most rooms I walk in, I don't feel like everyone is smarter than me. I have a, I have a healthy level of intelligence. Um, yeah. And I am no longer a poor man, but I grew up dirt poor. And the amount of things that I had to do to like to, to get my degree, I mean, just my undergraduate degree, the amount of th the things I had to go through just to make it out of South LA, like intact at 18 years old. Like there are just so many stories that most people don't know. Now they can see, Oh yeah, he's the GM of, of Cliff Bar Canada and he's a Michigan MBA and he's whatever other like shiny objects you might see in my life and in my career. Like, they have no idea. Like, other people who yeah, are in, of course, in these roles, they didn't go through what I went through to get here. You know? To, you know, to the outside, it's like, you, you can, you know, you can, quote, unquote, make an assumption about somebody who has a Michigan MBA and 
you know, but it's like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, like it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different. So, so to that end though, so let's take a step back. Right. So now, you know, you, you're this accomplished marketing executive who you've gone through this long road to, to get to where you're at and they, and your career is like, you know, you're doing quite well for yourself. But I always like to understand, like to that end, I think I think because there's so much in my backstory that most people will never know, I always like to get other people's backstory. Like what made you you? Like what like my why, the reason why people will never outwork me, another reason why you'll never get my integrity. No matter there's nothing you can dangle in front of me to get my integrity from a from a trinket standpoint, is because, you know, my grandmother was a sharecropper and my mother was a sharecropper. My brother used to have to babysit our younger siblings when she was six because my grandma was working all day. And like being raised by those two women and then like what we went through in South LA, like there's a certain grind and work ethic to me that I will never, if I didn't get involved in criminality as a teenager, there's not a trinket you can dangle in front of me to get me to give up my integrity. So knowing that all of that is going on underneath the surface of me, like at all times, I always want to understand like what's going on beneath the surface of other people. And so now that I have this platform of bootstraps, I definitely like to get that out of, you know, my guests when they come on the show. So with that context, like, let's go back to your childhood. Like what, what made you use? Like where I always like to start, like, where did you grow up? What was your family like in your early years? I grew up in Virginia beach, Virginia, um, home of, you know, number one picks, Alan Iverson, you know, a lot of the morning, <laughs> Pharrell, you know, I'll just throw that just to rep your you know. city. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. You know, we're we're underrated. We're underrated out there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> isn't that where Pusha so, T's from too? Or am I mistaken? Yeah, yeah. So him and his brother, okay. the, the clip. Yeah, yep. yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so I, that's where I grew up. I, so it's a big Navy town. So I'm. It's actually rare that someone will tell you I am from Virginia Beach. Usually, oh wow. You know, people pass through there because their, you know, their family is in the Navy. So there's the largest naval base in the world is right, right around there. So for me, growing up was interesting because I grew up, my parents, we lived in like a, just a, you know, random subdivision with like, you know, one big circle, man-made lake. And, you know, it, it was pretty, the definition of middle class, full of a ton of Navy families, things like that. Um, and around where I live was probably kind of, I will call it lower middle class. And for me, that was like growing up in a neighborhood, running around, playing basketball, football, and all that at, in, in the hood, right? But then I ended up going to testing into this private school just because both of my parents were like dead set education. You will go to college. You will get a job. My dad was very, <laughs> very keen on like, you know, like a lot of parents, right? Law, doctor, or computers, which is kind of this vague term at the time. But, you know, so they 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 were definitely, uh, I would say, I guess the word would be very present, you know? So for me and my little sister, um, up until they divorced, you know, it was, I, I have never missed a meal and all that type of stuff was great. And then sending me to private school, they were, I was around, I, I went from, you know, kind of very mixed, like the Navy has some of everything to 
I think there's 115 kids in my graduating class. Six of us were black, you know, and then one Asian, one, you know, and it's right. they're kind of one of each. So right. um, it was just, it was that, uh, you know, the Fresh Prince light, right? Where it's like, you're, it's, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I, you know, it wasn't like my neighborhood was bad at all. Um, but then you go to this super hoardy toity school that doesn't have a principal. They have a headmaster. Mm. You know, we don't go to school. It's the campus and this and that. So um Having a foot in both, I think what that gave me was, I think the, the reason why I am, if you talk to my friends, they would say, Joe loves to talk shit, he's very confident. And I think that I got from an early age because, and, and this is like, here's Joe's like sociological, whatever, yeah. you know, th theories here, but like, I think it's helpful for black people to kind of not, what's the word, like to, to, Here's here's what I'm saying. Diversity is helpful. And yep. what I mean is when black people are around white people, you go, oh, we're we're the same intelligence. Like money, money is not tied to like intelligence or like how good of a person you are. It's just a thing you have, you know? So I think that's what it gave me where I could you take a test and I'm toward the top. And 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 then that just sort of so then when you know you go home or whatever, it's like, well, they would my where I lived being on a different sort of socioeconomic plane, I guess, uh, I got some of both. So it was cool. I feel like I can kind of speak both languages or kind of and, and that what that allowed was for me was that confidence to say, oh, like, I'm, I'm good anywhere. You know, does that make sense? No, <laughs> no, it makes it makes perfect sense. And I'm thinking back to like very specific stories in my own life. But what I will just say, because I want to keep this focused on you is it helps what, you, what what I'm hearing you say. I'm gonna play it back, and you let me know. What I, what I'm hearing you say is, it allows you to realize that someone's self worth is not tied to, or is like their their abilities really is not tied to the family they were born into, right? Because there's a certain socioeconomic status that you get. That has nothing to do with you. You're like you're born into that family, but there are things that are also objective. Like, just like athletically, there are things that are objective. Intellectually, there are things that are objective, right? It's like, and if we get in the classroom, I don't care how much money your parents have. It's like, can you beat me in this race? Like, I remember I was the, in my in my age, I was no one could beat me in the in the timetables quiz, and I took a lot of pride in that. <laughs> I took a disgusting yeah. I competed in that the same way I competed in football, basketball, baseball. And so what it then helps you. Oh, the like, other kids knew too. You know, yeah. even if you never said it. Right. They all knew too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just, I'm sure they did. But then what you what you end up walking away from that though is like, okay, so I'm probably gonna be the poorest kid in the room or in the in the bottom ten percent of you know, from a, a poverty standpoint in any room I walk into during my childhood. That was just what my reality was. But I never walked in that room with that level of confidence. I also walked in that room knowing that, like, I'm one of the strongest kids here. I'm one of the fastest kids here. I'm one of the, you know, most liked kids here. Like, I always walked in with that confidence. My worth was not tied to um, my socioeconomic status. So what I hear you saying in this is being able to be around other folks or being, being around diversity 
allow you allowed you to get to like measure yourself and come to understand that black is not inferior because that is what is pushed in the like and I, in the the, the yeah, popular thought. Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. And I, well, I guess now I'm complimenting myself. I, you have said, <laughs> I agree with what you said. Let me say it that <laughs> way. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, I agree. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I'm, I guess I, I, it was funny because when I was there, it was corny, right? And I thought, you know, I, I campaigned. So I, I'm, I'm going to get in my Al Bundy bag here a little bit. I was, I was good at basketball. I used to be good at basketball. That's right. what I'm going to say. I used to be good at basketball. Yeah. So, I, you know, I would always say, look, I, I want to play in college. I can let me go. So my, my AAU coach coached high school, so let me go play for him. And, you know, my parents were like, no. But I, I actually called both of my parents maybe within the last, like, two years and was like, I, thank you. I get it now. Okay. You, you, you know? Mm. You, you, you both, you, you obviously insisted I was there for a reason and it, you know, it took, you know, youthful pride and all that. It took a while for me to kind of understand that reason. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I actually gave him a call. I felt, I felt very mature. Uh, well, well, good for you, man, for uh, being able to like give your parents that gift too. Cause I think, <laughs> I, I think the, the, the teenage mind is very interesting in that it's smart enough to know a lot. You know, but, mm-hmm. you know, knowledge without wisdom is a very dangerous combination. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and, and wisdom requires time and you're just not wise when you're a teenager. And so, you know, that can lead to uh, not really appreciating, or understanding your parents and some of the decisions that they make. Yeah. And so, you know, like the fact that, you know, you came to that realization and then, you know, we're, we're kind enough to go ahead and call them. I'm sure they was looking at you like, you know, we love this boy, but you know, what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> so, I, so I'm sure, I'm sure they appreciated hearing it because it probably wasn't fun for them to have to tell you no. Or, or my mom, those those moments where my mom she'd say, "I'm not one of your little friends." <laughs> exactly. You know, that was that, that was all that always came when she had to draw a firm line and let me know that. <laughs> yeah, hold on. I know you're not you're not you're not happy with this, but I'm doing it anyway. Right. Exactly. You know. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so, so you're growing up, you know, going to school with, um, with the headmaster on campus. So you're not, you're showing up on campus with the headmaster. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing well. You're, you're, you're performing towards the top of your class or at the top of your class on kind of a regular basis. What was that? Um, what was that like for you though? Like coming from this very black, like middle class naval kind of community when you're when you're not on campus mm. and then you're on campus was, was there any culture shock for you like how did you adjust to the, the cultural differences yeah kind of I, I mean between both worlds so I, yeah it was of course right so i i started uh at, at that school in second grade so you know i remember all the way back um the teacher was like hey joe why don't you read i have a dream speech to the class you know and kind of so we put in those weird spots in like huckleberry finn fifth grade i remember that in mm. <laughs> word gym mm. you know so, yeah. <laughs> so i you know it was i i think i got through a lot of that like through laughter and you know just sort of making an awkward situation trying to laugh at it not i didn't you know, I, I think for me, it was like, 
again, having the confidence to be myself was like, all right, I, I never had that also, which was good. So I think what, what was, what helped me sort of get through it was like, again, sort of laughing at it, having, and, and having the, the six of us in my grade that we did have, I mean, two of them are my lifelong friends. And like, you know, I, I, I refuse to have two best men, but I, so I named one my best man, but I gave them both the mic at my wedding. You know what I mean? Like, right, so, right, right. yeah, so it's not like it was just me sort of getting through it. So we, we had each other for sure. And, you know, it's really, I think that was, that was important for me too, to have that outlet. Cause it, I wouldn't be the same person I am if, if I didn't have them as almost like a ground. So I could, I still, I, of course I could go home and like, it was, you know, speak like myself and dress, you know, obviously we're talking about the late nineties, early two thousand. So, the, the double X FUBU <laughs> baseball jerseys were, were acquired. You know what I'm saying? That is the first thing I thought of. <laughs> the fact that you said it. <laughs> you know, uh, I was really happy when Nautica got big because, you know, I could, that was like, that could play them both. So that, you know, that it was. Right, right. <laughs> so there were those little like sort of nuances. And I mean, just having fun, you know, like I obviously I, I had my friends and I, I loved it there. I knew that I was black, though. And so when they but when someone would ask me after a basketball game, we take a shower. Right. And, you know, I'm putting on lotion like for the for the guys on the basketball team. Lotion was something they used for one thing. And so they didn't, yeah, exactly. they didn't understand that me pulling it out at the locker room. They're like, whoa. And I'm like, no, guys, here. So your skin dries. And for me. It looks like this. So to do, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's so real. I actually have that same. So, we, <laughs> one of the homies uh, uh, that was on a hoop squad with us in high school, as white dude named was Mark, mm-hmm. and another one of my homeboys nicknamed him and one because <laughs> because it would be like five black dudes and one white dude. And I was like, yeah, I, I was like, I thought that I was a pretty clever, like double entendre because what it. the and one means in basketball, whatever, whatever. But, you know, we would kick it at Mark's house, you know, uh, a lot during basketball season or we would like get dressed and getting ready to go out. And so if we, if we were ever at Mark's house and we had to take a shower, like after practice and we're getting ready to go out, the first thing we'd ask for when we got out the shower, like, yo, Mark, where's your lotion? <laughs> and he was like, man, when Tony was over here the other day, he asked the same thing. Like, <laughs> what's, what's, what's with you, black dudes in lotion? <laughs> and I had to give him the whole lecture, you know? Like, yeah. But you I, know what that requires that was, is, like, really knowing somebody, you know, and being able to, ask, you know, knowing somebody well enough to ask that question. I, absolutely. And that was, the, that was the moment when I found out, like, oh, so you don't put on lotion, like, every single day? Sometimes twice a day. Okay, got it. Yeah, <laughs> got it. But, that, but I think there's also a certain benefit, right? To like, um, he wasn't being funny or disrespectful, it's right? And, and there, yeah, there, yeah there, there's a benefit of getting to know other people, mm-hmm. and and I, th- I think it just broadened people. My, I, I'm sure that Mark benefited from being able to have some real black friends. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? And 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 it broadened his world because you know he was about as he was about as white as you can be, yeah. you know, like not 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 in an insulting way. He was yeah. just like it was just very white middle class dude who had didn't have any close black friends until he started playing varsity basketball in high school, you know. So yeah. broadening people's horizon, I think there is there is a um, 
there, there's a real benefit yeah. to it. And it goes both ways. I, I mean, I played lacrosse in, in high school, right. and, and that was not that was not something that was discussed when I was at home, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my, my so what, what was that like for you? It's like, yeah, I was curious. I want, want to hear more from you. Like, what was that like, like playing lacrosse, doing this thing that's not quote-unquote black? Yeah, it was uh, – so I – I mean, I just didn't have a spring sport. So, honestly, I tried it just because it was so popular. So the, I, my high school was pretty good at it, and I, I guess I just kind of wanted to see what it was about. And what's great – is that because I did play basketball, I, I did I picked it up pretty quick because it's all just they some of the terminology is like fast break. Uh, they run the motion offense, you know, you pass and then you, you pass to the right, you set a pick to the left and they call it a pick, things like that. So that helped me yeah. a ton where I couldn't actually really catch and throw so much. So they just stuck me on defense. I knew how where to be because it was just the same sort of principles as, as basketball. So you know, I try to just kind of being interested. I because I played basketball, football. You know, I, I was like I was athletic at least, and you know, I, I like to think help my own. I got a college letter for it, um, uh-huh. which okay. doesn't. I I mean, it can't. It's just because my high school was really good. I think they just got some old roster or something because I literally I played <laughs> one season on defense. You know, <laughs> look. So my 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 brother is a college baseball coach now, and. Uh, one of the things that his head coach says on the TV coaches for uh, is one of one of the types of athletes you never give give up on is a black baseball player. <laughs> you know, because it's like if they got any you know any level of athleticism, it's like if they ever find their stride, mm-hmm. like what they're going to be able to do on the baseball diamond is just going to be. Uh, Dumb. Yeah, I mean, Bo so Jackson, I, I, no, we're still talking about Bo Jackson. <laughs> right, right, right. Or Deion Sanders. You go on and on down the list. So um, I could, I would have to think some of that translates to like lacrosse. Like, yo, if you had this raw athleticism, it's like, look, if he, if it ever clicks, you know, if he gets up the learning curve with some of the more refined skills, mm-hmm. you, you can't, you can't teach. Speed, you can't out coach speed, right? You just can't, right? And then, no. yeah, and for me, I wasn't flailing, which was great. I was like, oh, zone defense, I got that, you know, that, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. All right, so, so you do the, you do the lacrosse thing, it, it, it works out for you. You're not, um, you don't have any real identity issues around it, which is dope. And I would, I would, I would have to assume that means that you had a, a pretty genuine, like sense of self like you were comfortable in your skin like because i think most teenagers are not so then therefore they want to kind of stay in this um like defined script or role for their life right like but you seem to be really comfortable in yourself to like yeah like i'm from virginia beach and i gotta get one of these photos like you're rocking these extra baggy these extra baggy fubu fubu jerseys and whatnot. I'm sure you, I'm sure you have some cornrows. There has to be a picture of you with cornrows. Thankfully, I had the good sense to keep the Caesar today. Since third, from third grade, my mom my mom cut cut me a high top fade in second grade, and from then oh. it's been it's been Caesar rocking the Caesar. Yeah, all right. All right, so you're doing the fubu, but with the Caesars, yeah, no yeah. cornrows. <laughs> but then you're like, yeah, and I'm going to go play lacrosse, and I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. So 
what did you were you comfortable in your skin? Did you did you have a lot of teenage angst? No, I don't I don't I don't have those memories. So I'm gonna say I don't think I'm really the one that can answer that. You know, you'd have to ask like uh, you probably yeah. have to ask like uh, a close relative, but I would say I, I I remember one of my high school essays for college was like being black in an all white school. What's it like? You know, I just I yeah. I just so I had that. I I know that that was in the front of my mind in terms of this is this is different. <laughs> I speak one way over here, one way over there, and you know I it's not like but it wasn't like I had a question. You know where it was not where do I belong? It was more like mm-hmm. here's what it's like. Um, and so I I don't really know. What, you know, I feel like a lot of people have similar backgrounds, right? There's, you know, at least there were six in my school on this and that, but I'm not sure as you come down, what what maybe makes you go left or right in terms of like that identity and, um, and that confidence. But, but thankfully for me, I went to the side of like, I'm, I'm here and, and let me make the best of it rather than like, I'm here and not feeling accepted. I'm, I, you know, I'm really fortunate in that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a rich place to be. It's a, you, you could, you could mold and build your life off of the best of both worlds. You know, you don't have to choose just one or the other. You can, you can pull in what you want. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm going to use your phrasing. I don't remember my teenage years being full of angst either. Yeah. And, you know, I did something similarly, you know, not only did I play baseball, um, but then, a buddy of mine invited me as a white buddy of mine. Hmm. He invited me to his church's youth group. And I really liked the way in which it was run. And so, you know, I made a few friends there and I would go out and I would play beach volleyball with these oh, nice. so We'd be hanging out at the beach all day, just yeah. playing like pickup beach volleyball. And I, because I was a basketball player, had and I'm sure baseball was a part of it too. And it was a hand-eye coordination. I picked it up pretty quickly. I got pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And, at least for like pickup beach volleyball, yeah. you know, playing with, yeah, with a group of friends. I'd be, yeah, and I would be the only black dude out there, like <laughs> at Hermosa Beach, just like all day on a Saturday. And then I'd go back home to my neighborhood and you know take a shower, or whatever. And then I'm hanging out with my buddies that night, just kind of like whatever, yeah. you know, wearing, you know, where where you guys had the. I never got big into like the the football stuff, but I did have the you know XL double XL, you know. White tees oh, sure. and the back yeah, sure. and the baggy Levi ones. That's kind of like that was kind of like the inner city LA uniform. Gotcha. You know what I mean? The only only thing I didn't have, I did not have the Nike Cortez because my my middle brother had come home from college one time and saw me wearing some Nike Cortez. Took them, went to my mom. Was like, you could never let him wear these shoes again. Like this is like these are gang affiliated, and I wasn't remotely gang affiliated, but it's like. You know, it's the uniform of my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So I never, I didn't, I, I didn't get to wear like the Nike Cortez is like after seventh grade. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I would go between those two worlds. So I felt really comfortable. And I, and it wasn't like I would come back to my neighborhood and lie. People were like, where are you at earlier? Like, oh, I was at Hermosa, you know, chilling with my homies. Yeah. Like, you know, I was just very comfortable. Yeah. Um, that, and I mean, and, it's and, not like I didn't get teased though. You know, it's not like, yeah, yeah it wasn't, it didn't always go. But I think at a certain point, you know, you're yourself enough, at least people, it's it just, when, if you're consistent enough, then I think you kind of shape your world around you, right? You find those people who who you vibe with, and then, you know, I, I don't know. That's how it worked for me anyway. Sounds like it's similar yeah. for you. Me. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. And, you know, if you come for me, you know, you, you better bring a lunch. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can, I, I can play the dozens all day, too. So <laughs> right. <that's what's> <laughs> so you, you, th- let's, let's talk about, uh, you know, you coming through high school um, and thinking about college. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, you know, college was a foregone conclusion. You're going to go. Yep. Your parents were really committed to you and your education and making sure that happened. How, how did you end up at Cornell? How did you think about that process? Yeah, I so we, of course, my hoity-toity school, no retirement, we had our college counselor, not guidance counselor, just college counselor. And uh, so they had a meeting with uh, every student throughout the school year, you know, and, uh, yeah, here are your grades. That that person's job was to go talk to colleges. Here's where I think I can, you know, maybe help or whatever. Um, so really with him, I just asked, like, do you think I could get into the Ivy League? That's That's really where it started. And he was like, well... You know, obviously, it's never a foregone conclusion. He's like, but I think, you know, it, it, you, you'd have as good a shot as anybody, basically. Um, so with that, I ended up applying to Cornell, um, and then I applied to Brown. And I'm going to take a quick aside, if I can, and give a shout out to one of my oldest friends. His name is Chaz Woodson. Uh, and he just accepted the head coaching job for the lacrosse team, actually, at Hampton University. So... Okay. Yeah. Shout out. So he's an All-American high school college player. He went to Brown. So I actually applied there just like, that's my friend. <laughs> it's a good school. Went and visited him. Right. Um, so, you know, I ended up at Cornell. One, because I got in. But two, um, the, I, it was basically down to Cornell and the University of Virginia. So I, I drove up to UVA on kind of an unscheduled visit um, with two friends. So we drove up there, we got like a little holiday in, and we just wanted to see what we saw. And over the course of the weekend, I remember I counted more people from my high school there than black people. And I was like, if it's mm. just if it's just one or the other, I'd rather go to the place and I don't want to like fall into the exact same kind of conversations and hangouts and all that. Like I just kind of want to try a new thing. So that that yeah. was kind of the biggest, I would say, decision point um, that led to Cornell. Yeah, I mean that's that's insightful. So my my niece uh, just graduated from Wake Forest, and it's funny. Like Brown was her uh, top choice as well, um, but she she got into Wake, she got into Virginia, and the decision came down to like those two schools yeah. for her. She got into several other schools as well, but those yeah, were like yeah, yeah. the top the, the the top two for her when when she did all the, the whittling down, mm-hmm. and. Um, I remember when she came back and let us know her decision that she wanted to go to Wake and why. And she came to understand like what the culture was like at UVA and was like, yeah, that's a, like, that's not what I want. Yeah. And so I was really impressed that she knew what questions to ask mm-hmm. at such a young age yeah. to help, to help her ultimately make a decision that was going to be enriching because I, 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 I I don't know if I was that far along at 18 in terms of like my decision making skills. Like I knew geographically I wanted to be in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. so that's where I was going, you know. And I got I went out to Claremont McKenna on a recruiting trip because they wanted me. It's a small D3 school in LA, and I went and spent the weekend out there. And I did know like I didn't see I only saw two black people the whole weekend. Man, I I didn't like that, yep. and so I was like. Yeah, done. I'm not going here. And I went on. I went on about. I did. I don't know if they've changed their number since. I don't know anything about 
like the school statistics since then and how they progressed. And that wasn't really even said to disparage the school. I just know that me coming from inner city LA is like, I'm not trying to spend any time at a school where I only see two black people all weekend. Right. Um, but my niece had such much a, she had a much deeper, thorough analysis of it. So I think that it's, um, I think it's, I'm always impressed by people who can properly think through their decisions around where they want to go to college coming out of high school. I mean, I, I, you know, I did what I did, right? And it worked out. So I, I think that's another example, kind of like the career where I think probably I could have done reams of research and whatnot, but I, 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 I feel confident with my choice, you know? So I, I yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 And it, it worked out. So, yo, man, I really, I really appreciate you coming on here, man, and sharing with us your, your journey and your story. I think it's, uh, like it's such an amazing story of you know, it 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 embodies a lot of when I think of bootstraps. It's like someone who had to, at times, like absolutely bust their ass to make things happen, but also like no one gets things done by themselves. And the whole concept of like, oh, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I'm like, man, get out of here with that. Like, even <laughs> when you were doing your grind, driving down from Cornell for your internship. There was, I think it was a frat buddy who connected you with a friend who had an addict that they could rent out to you for $400 a month. Like, that's people helping you out. You know what I mean? Like, and there's no a lot one more. does it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and no one does it by themselves. So, you being able to share that story, I think one is it, it, it gets across, you know, what I would want people who are earlier on in their career or really at a tough time right now in their career, like you have to grind, don't let them outwork you, you know, but when you, when you get there, when you have these sweet moments, be smart enough and humble enough and honest enough with yourself to recognize the people who helped you get there too, you know, and, 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 and maybe that remembering that when you see someone else on their grind, you know, you can help them along the way as well. Um, but before I let you get out of here, there are there are four questions um, I'm going to need you to answer for me. And the first of which is, tell me a time in which, you know, they, in air quotes, went low and you went high. The they can be can be anyone, but it's really wanting to to pull out a story where you you help us understand um, a situation where where you were triggered and you were able to con control your emotions. Um, and have a little bit of restraint and, and take the high road and you haven't done that turned out to be in your best interest. I, well, it's interesting because I wouldn't say this, this necessarily had like the rosiest like conclusion because it's fine, but I'll just get into it. So I, I'll say I was at one of my jobs. So I've, I've laid out this whole background of kind of setting a goal to work in sports and, and what I did to get there. So I would say in addition to that, at this company, you know, I had worked through a few programs um, that were tied in with sports and, and uh, so I'll just say, it's a beer company. So they have a sports and entertainment department. So I had, of course, put my hand up and said, I don't want to be a brand manager. I want to go work in the sports and entertainment department. Felt like I was very clear. And actually to that end, had, had built these programs, like I said, volunteered for other work and actually had a meeting with the person who ran the sports and entertainment department and said, look, I'm trying to get on your team. Great, great, great. 
I'm going to take this other job because, and I laid out four things. Here are the four things that this job does, I think, position me well for sports entertainment. Do you agree? Yes. So I went and did it, you know, and, and one of the programs, which was great, one uh, multicultural program of the year, which is like an internal award. Another one uh, won a couple of external awards for, for just um, like uh, digital digital marketing. So I'm like, great, I got it, right? So I go to uh, a position opens up and go talk to the director again. And he's like, look, I, I question your passion for sports. And he goes, well, you know, there, there was one time when, when way back where, you know, I, uh, you had a meeting and, you know, there was an opportunity to go to a second meeting, but you didn't go. And, and you know, for me, why I would define it as going low was, was, would be to say, hey, if I've done all this and I've, I've been so clear, why wouldn't you say, hey, Joe, come along, <laughs> you know, rather than. And, and so what it obviously felt like was he just doesn't want me. So I, what I would say, yep. instead of instead of turning up as a you know, technical term. Um, <laughs> you know, it's lit. Yes, exactly. uh, I had built allies in the company who all knew, you know, this wasn't just me grinding. This was working with people above me and being clear about my intentions. So I actually went back to my boss, her, bo uh, her boss, and, you know, let them know what happened. And, and what was great was they actually took up for me and said, I, I'll never forget the director's face was, he, he just goes, wait, that, that doesn't even make sense. You know, he, he was just confused. So I felt very vindicated in that, but he actually did go talk to the director who confirmed it all. And so what that led to for me was actually um, finding another role outside the company, you know? So that's why I say it's not like necessarily the rosiest end, but mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, where a lot of people would hear hear that, I'm not going to interview you and, and, and internalize it as like, what haven't I done? I, I felt very... Again, I think we go goes back to that confidence of like, I I think I've I've done enough to at least get an interview, and then felt vindicated at least by having those people in positions who could conceivably have those conversations when I'm not in the room. Like, hear that news and immediately go, that's not right. Let me go do what I can. Right. You know, I felt vindicated right. at least in that. So, yeah, to me, right. it was a good story. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a great story, and I think first, a couple of things. One, you. Um, you maintained your integrity, right? And I think the other piece is you maintain your mental health. They just being blunt, like I've watched this happen before. Um, I've experienced it and I've seen it done to other people. Like, they just make shit up, you know, to, and being blunt. Right. They just make things up to keep an other out, whoever that other may be. Oftentimes, you know, it's, it's race-based. That's the reason why I think there are not more black people in senior positions. It's not about ability. It's definitely not about um, ambition or drive. There's all the stats and studies and research kind of dis dispels that myth. Right. You know, it's these random decisions on the margin where people may or may not even be thinking about, um, you know, there's like overt racism, like I'll never hire a black person. And oftentimes there are people like, yeah, I don't want to hire a black person or a Latino person, whoever it may be. I don't want to hire a woman, but I know for us, focusing on black folks in, in general and black men in particular, we do run into that. And then they just make up this nonsensical stuff. And then you're left with the emotional yuck of that trying to figure out like, wait, wait, what? Did I? What and did can, I? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like uh, my, my buddy Lemu says, like, you know, racism is crazy making. 
right? Like it, it can it can make you crazy if you let it. Yeah. So um yeah, good for you, man. That, that that actually is a rosy ending as far as I think about it. Yeah, yeah. Our mental health is is paramount. Um that's it. Ne- next question. If you were to describe your journey in one word, what would it be? You gave me this, you know, a primer because I, I had to think about this one. So the word I came up with, and this is ridiculous, uh, is gump. So G-U-M-P. Okay. Because I, I truly do, I feel like Forrest Gump because <laughs> it's like just, I set this goal and I, I you know, trying to like, taking these jobs or whatever. I mean, I, so working on Miller Lite, uh, I guess I wasn't supposed to say that, but so with our, you know, our driver, our NASCAR driver, like I led that program and, you know, I got to go to a race and he happened to win. So, you know, you can't buy a ticket to victory lane at a NASCAR race, right. but I was there in the pictures getting sprayed with right. the beer and the burnout and all that. It's just amazing. Or like, you know, uh, going to the Super Bowl, <laughs> for instance, right. um, you know, it just whatever it is, like uh, it, it's it's been um, <laughs> it's been a charmed life, and now you know, most recently, kind of just having a Super Bowl ring. I've never known anyone who's owned their own, and I have one, and it's awesome. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> flex. I mean, <laughs> no, like I say that I say that with like I'm beaming with pride and joy for you right now. Not like you know, I'm not yeah. You should be proud. You should be happy in all the joy that comes with having something that's such a rare achievement and, and having, you know, whether you call it um, grace or providence or, or luck, you know, d- depending on, on how you view the universe. Like, I think it's just awesome that you, you, you have that experience in your back pocket in your, in your very, in your very gumpish life, right? As you just kind of yeah. go down this road, like you just, ended up in all these amazing experiences. Great for you, man. I've decided I want my new goal now is to be that awkward dude who's handing over like the home run batting trophy or like the slam dunk tr- title trophy, like for yeah. T-Mobile. Yeah. So that now yeah. I've decided yeah. I want to do that because as you just you can't, <laughs> can't buy that. I want to try it. So that, that's my new right. goal. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where are some cotton dockers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I would be so done. Oh, Congratulations, right. Zion Williamson. So I'm I'm working on it. All right, all right. All right. So uh, building off of that, if, what's your personal definition of success? It doesn't have to hold true for anyone else, but you. Like, how are you thinking about your life, and what would success look like? Interestingly, that has changed a lot for me in the last six months. As we, it's like you know, it feels like a new civil rights movement and a pandemic and a depression, recession, whatever, like for me now, I think success is just financial comfort and in terms of just not having to worry about it. Or if my, you know, if I need a new spark plug or whatever, that's just a thing that happens and it's not something that would change my life. So that I would call that whatever number that is that and uh, making sure my family feels safe and, and just protected. So comfortable and protected. That is very simple goals now. Yeah, no, I dig it. And, and the the protective piece is more complicated given just what black people have to live with. Um, That's a loaded word. Piece, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the, the financial piece, the comfort piece, uh, I remember a buddy of mine or a colleague, it was a colleague of mine when I was le- leaving uh, Clorox getting ready to head off to grad school. He was like, 
figure out your, you know, we call it your FU number. Um, figure out your FU number now and don't ever change it. Um, because once you get to certain levels, you start making money, you might move that number up or down. It's like, but figure it out now. And if you ever have it, just know that you can walk away from any situation that you find untenable and live the rest of your life comfortable because you have this much money put away. And I was like, huh, it's a very interesting concept. I still haven't reached my FU number, but uh, it is something that I've kept front of mind. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) exactly. Uh, And and lastly, I want to ask you, with all the stress and strain and weight that comes with being black in this world, um, it's also super dope. So what is it that you love the most about being a black man? A long time about this one as well. I, I would say just our resilience is is I don't know. It's beautiful. It's admirable. It, you know, and and I would it, I'm gonna have this is a ridiculous example, but Black Twitter is is the perfect it, it's a perfect <laughs> example because you know the, the world feels like it's crumbling sometimes, especially on Twitter because depending on you know who you follow, you could be getting hit with all this all these things just over and over and over again. But in the midst of all that, you know, black people still are like able to find a way to make that pain like, oh, I don't know, tenable. We, we laugh or, yeah. or we cry, you know, or like with verses that um, with the Instagram live battles and things like that, like that right. would not exist without us. And it only kind of makes sense to us. And if you see, a, yep. you know, like if you see a flyer, like you're not going to get excited about, you know, I don't know. What, who's it? Aretha versus Gladys Knight coming up? Like that is yeah. all generations of black people are gonna be just glued yeah. to their phones, you know. So I think this our resilience. Yeah, I think I think it, I think it's Patty. <laughs> oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, like, oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The battle of the sweet potato pies. Yes, that is <laughs> <laughs> Which is but yeah, I mean it's something that like we it's something that we're uniquely gifted at, like no matter the situation. So here's 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 the here's the, the beauty of being black. We can create value out of just about anything. Yes. Yeah. And and I think what ultimate success looks like for us as a culture is getting to where we own more of the means of production so that we then can participate in capturing the value that we create. Right? Because if you look at all the great music that we've produced, there have been more people who are not from our culture that got rich off of that music that exact same music that we produced than not. But to your point about us being resilient and being able to create uh, something special out of anything, including a pandemic. So we're going to turn Instagram into in the middle of people are losing their musical. Yeah. 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 Like it's just, it's just, it's just what we do. Yeah. And it's what we've always done. And so uh, that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on here, sharing your story sharing your knowledge and wisdom and perspective on all the things you've been through. You know, I feel like I've gotten to know you even better, man. And uh, yeah, I just wish you, you know, the best of luck. And I can't wait to get this edited out to the world, man. But I have a million thank yous for you coming on here, man, and sharing your story. I got you, man. Thanks a lot for having me. I, you know, we, I, you, you explained the concept. I loved it. And then it was just like now being a part of it. It, it is, I, I think I predicted like a little cathartic and a little bit just, I don't know. It, it, you, 
this doesn't really happen. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it again. <laughs> so it, it feels good to just have a platform and, and you know, more success, man. Uh, I'm going to do what I can. I actually got a couple of names I want to give you, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, brother. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk to you soon. I right, love it. Talk to you later. Peace.